my privilege to be with you today. Uh, my wife and I do live down in the valley. And as you all know, some unique things have happened in the valley over the last few days. Um, some of those uh, known by all in the U.S. and around the world in terms of activities of terrorists. Not first identified that way, but some of us who live close thought that it might be that from close to the beginning. It is kind of a unique experience to listen to things described that are happening in France. And the people who went through a similar situation. But it has a tendency, as I'm sure that you have some feel for, to be a different thing when it's a mile and a half or two away from your house. The dynamics, I think, in the community are changed somewhat from what they were before this took place. Um, awareness, there are certainly descriptions of fear, increased levels of concern in the people that I talk to around the corners of my area of housing. I live on um, close to Mountain View Street in Loma Linda, just off the corner of Barton and Mountain View. They've just put a new Walmart in there. I live on the wall that separates us from Walmart. Used to be an orange grove. Quite different. But that's not too far from the location where after the fact we saw on our television, being retired folk, we have some opportunity to do some television viewing. Uh, not totally, for sure, but maybe at least as much as we had before we retired. And as we just watched this possibility and this happening, unfolding, it was quite an interesting thing. You know the details. We won't go into that. But the response after was an interesting thing. A week ago today, which was closer to the event by a week, sitting in a Sabbath school class, much like I sat in here earlier today with many of you, there was a fellow there who was sitting next to me who sings bass in Christian Edition musical group in which I sing also. He sat down next to me in the Sabbath school class and leaned over and said, did you get the email I sent you? And I said, no, my email has not been working for about two days and so I have not read that. I went back and read that on Saturday night. And it was a story about uh, one of the people inside the small room where they were having a meeting. The person described themselves as being responsible for setting up the meeting. They chose that location. They chose that time. And it was not unusual, but it wasn't the place where they all worked exactly. They were more spread out. They were coming together for kind of a business meeting that she had arranged. And as she was indicating in this write-up, 
she was there and had just declared to the group that they were going to have a, a bit of a break so they could take care of the restroom needs or whatever. And she said she didn't know just exactly. It was planned that she do that, but the timing was not specific, and so at the right time she did it. And as that was taking place and people were leaving, the shooters came in. And so some people hid in the bathroom where they were already moving toward. And others were inside. And she said she was inside. And as the shooter came around, she was flat on her back. And the shooter came and aimed his long gun at her forehead. And she said she knew it was potentially all over. But he said for some reason, he slipped the gun down and aimed at one of her legs and shot her leg. She wrote it up. The North American Division President of Adventists had comments following her comments in this email that I read. And the General Conference President had comments about this lady, Seventh-day Adventists, who coordinated the meeting. There were other Adventists there. So it's not so far separated from us, even though here we are up in Crestline. Part of our family is involved. And even if that hadn't happened, there would still be some connection, wouldn't there be? Because we're Americans. Yeah. Well, what kind of a situation will unfold from this? We don't know the end yet. They have been working a lake, as you've probably seen on TV, if you've seen it at all. They've been working a lake very methodically, uh, having had a lead that said something from these two shooters after they shot, came back home. They drove around in the area of the lake. So they thought, we're going to look under every bush and every rock. They're looking for telephone pieces, uh, hard drive, computer hard drives, anything that might have been thrown in the lake by these people to cover their trail. Our world is in a unique spot in terms of time. I think it won't be long, and I believe that I'm preaching to the choir here. It won't be long until God steps out on the edge of space and says something like, ladies and gentlemen, it's closing time. It's closing time. And I think that's going to be a good thing. In the meantime, we have challenges. The hospital, the university down the hill, Loma Linda. I, I did mentioned in Sabbath school class that my daughter works at, for actually for both organizations in the development area. She said that uh, there were SWAT teams and police and ambulances and more than you could believe around the place. And they said, we're not having a lockdown, but you could go home if you want to we'd suggest highly that you either stay here or go directly home. Don't go on your shopping trip or whatever X, Y, Z you might be thinking of doing. So they responded in that way. And 
my daughter lives about two miles closer to the actual site than I do, and she's actually closer to the home where the folk spent some time in their uh, ammunition gathering and bomb creating atmosphere in the garage. And uh, she said, you know, you just feel differently about your neighborhood when this kind of a thing has been unfolded in your, quote, backyard. She was not that close, but she was certainly closer than I was. An interesting thing about our world and the times in which we live. And it just brings closer to home, I think, the idea that, you know what? What would happen if something else happened and uh, I was involved? Um, most important thing. Most important thing. Could I be involved in a death way and be ready? Isn't that a good question? I think that's a good question. My dad had his 96th birthday, September 25. He stood before the church in his little church in Galt, which some of you may know, south of Sacramento. His little church in Galt, they had prayer time, much like we had just a few minutes ago. And they said, does anybody have any praises or any requests? Dad stood up. Um, he has, used to be a deacon, but he said his, uh, his feet have kind of gone to sleep a little bit, so when he stands up, he has to get prepared, and he, he sort of stands, sits in the pew and does this with his feet before he's going to stand up, kind of get him awakened. I don't know if any of you can relate to that, but he could. And so he finally had to ask that he not be deacon because if somebody asked the deacons to stand, he would stand and fall flat just do a forward dive. So he said, I can't be a deacon. But he got ready. He knew prayer time was coming. And he got up out of the seat, sort toward, toward the front, just turned around. Instead of talking to the person who was asking for prayer requests, he said, well, he said, um, it's true. The week before, he had been diagnosed, 96, big life, long life, good life been diagnosed with terminal cancer. He says, it's moved from one place to another to another. It's in my back. It's in my pancreas. There's a, a lemon-sized lump. He was saying this, right, in church? Lemon-sized lump down in my, my leg and my thigh. The squeezing off the blood vessel that comes back to my heart from my leg. So my leg is kind of swelling up. And he says, you know, he said, I could die tonight. But you know what else? When I die, from my perspective, the next thing I'm going to see is Jesus welcoming me to a ride to heaven. He said, that's a good thing to the church. He said, that's really a good thing. You know what happened? Sunday night. First pain. He'd prayed. I'd had Christian addition and all of my friends praying for dad because dad's only request was not to live longer, not to be saved from the fear of death. His only request was 
I'd sure like to die without pain. The doctor said from what he had, he should have pain out the yang. And he had no pain. Sunday night, after he gave his talk at church, he couldn't get out of his chair to go to bed. It took him 40 minutes. His leg was just not working right. My brother stayed with him that night because he had never had that before. And he also had a little pain with that. And he went to bed, got him in bed, got him asleep, gave him a morphine pill, a baby one, a little one, and he went to sleep. And my brother said he went in about 1 o'clock in the morning. His dad was lying in bed, like some of us do, on his back, just kind of like this. And he was breathing, so my brother went back to bed. He came back in to check on him again about 3 in the morning. And he was in the same position. He wasn't breathing. Died in his sleep with a half an hour of pain. Wow. You know what the next thing for him is? We don't believe he went directly to heaven. You know that. But for him, Paul says, I don't know if it's good for me to live or to die and be with Christ, which sounds pretty immediate, but we know it isn't. And that's what dad's thought was. So that's a good philosophy, isn't it? Good philosophy. But many people in church, and I told the Christian edition group when we got back for rehearsal about the situation and thanked them for praying for him. Prayer really works. And they said, you know, your story encouraged us so much, so much about being ready anytime. Anytime. It's okay. Death is a sleep from which dad is going to wake up. And all of us, if we die. And the biggest thing is to have our heart ready, our relationship right with the great God of heaven. Isn't that true? So today I want to shift a little bit from talking about some of these negative things and talk about a related topic, but it's a little different. It's biblical instead of hmm, story-like, although it's a story. Who is my neighbor? That's what the rich man asked the attorney, the lawyer, asked Jesus. After he asked Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? Jesus said, do good things to your neighbor. And so this young man, not really trying to push anything, but maybe take a little of the bee off of himself, said, who's my neighbor? Today I want to talk to you about three philosophies of life. They're the only philosophies there are in this sense. And one of those is your philosophy. And one is mine. I just want to underline them. I know that I'm preaching to the choir. At the same time, it's a powerful thing to think about Jesus' answer to this question because the philosophies of life are all bound up in this one story. It is an anecdote. It's a story. <clears throat> a man 
says Luke 10, went down to Jericho. How many of you have been to Jericho? Good. All right. Well, I'll have some companion understandings here for sure. If you go down to Jericho, the word down is really not just there. Like we'd say we go down the road. No. This is go down to Jericho. It's kind of like saying going down to San Bernardino from here. It's down. He went down to Jericho, and as he went down the road, it said the thieves came out, as they did on that road, a rough road, a hard-to-defend-yourself-on road, twisty kind of, rocky, bouldery, and down. And easy for people to hide behind if they wanted to do evil to the travelers. And they did, these fellows. And they beat this fellow up. It was a little bit like happened in the room down the hill two weeks ago. And he could not defend himself. He was, he was done. And they thought maybe he was dead, but if he wasn't, it was okay because they had all they wanted. Then it says a little later, besides these fellows coming and beating him up, another person came down the road. And he looked over at this fellow who was bleeding and beaten up. And unlike the police in San Bernardino, he turned and went around the problem. There's a priest, a pastor, the religious leader of his day, took this path, the blind path, the get me away from here path, the I want to run from here. The guys might still be here who did this to him, looking behind the rock for the next. And that might be me. So I'm going to avoid him and go on. The next fellow, he was the son of Levi. And he walked by. And then he went over and took a look. Kind of like people at an accident, slowing down on the freeway. Check it out. Not ever thinking about stopping, but wanting to see what happened. You know what happens in our country? I don't know if you, any of you are in this business. I used to be, so I know a little about it. News plays on the bad stuff, doesn't it? There are some good things they snap in every once in a while just to help us remember a little bit that we're human beings. But then there's a lot of bad stuff that they really blow up. If somebody who's in the presidential business these days says something that's controversial, what happens? They spend 18 hours a day on it in the news. Isn't that right? Interesting. And so the Levite came by and he said, hmm, wonder what happened to him. Looks like he must have been beaten up. And he walked on down the road. And then this fellow who was Jewish, he said, 
I'm really not sure whether I should go down this road, but he did and was beaten up. And then the third fellow came by. And this fellow was the most prejudiced person. He wasn't prejudiced, but people were prejudiced toward him. Interesting stuff in today's context. It's easy to be prejudging, prejudice, just because of how fat somebody is. I'm prejudiced against fat people. Now, I can't be the example of this, but you might be prejudiced against skinny people. You might be prejudiced against people who have a different skin color. You prejudge them and say, there's something less about them. It might be just the nationality. Samaritans and Jews were as bad in prejudice as there could be in that day. The Jews thought the Samaritans, because they tried to worship at a different place, they were on the wrong God and they were in the wrong place. And those people are all bad. So here came a Samaritan down the road. The baddest guy. The baddest guy that this young lawyer could have been hearing about. The most, most person who were the most prejudiced against them. Well, what happened? You know. He bent over, patched up the fellow's wounds, took him down to the place, paid the bill, let him stay, said he'd come back and pay the rest of the bill if there was more, if he didn't get well soon enough. And that's kind of the end of the story. And Jesus leaves us to say, who is, who is the neighbor? And three philosophies. You have them today. I have them today. Available. First philosophy is the philosophy of the thieves. What was their philosophy of life? What's yours is mine. I'll take it. What's yours is mine. I'll take it. A lot of people believe in that philosophy. Not only the thieves, but they are thieves. If we have that response within us to respond to that philosophy, we become a thief. You know, <laughs> interesting story. There's a fellow who was uh, in New York, yeah, on the other side of our country, and they had a garbage strike in New York. When the garbage collectors go on strike, guess whose attention it gets? Everybody's. The garbage folk went on strike. And the second week of the strike, the garbage was piling up in the streets of New York because people were taking it out of their apartments and putting it on the street. And somebody saw that somebody did that, and so somebody else did that. And then somebody else, and somebody else, and somebody else. And somebody else, and it got 12 feet deep in many, many places on the street in New York. Garbage strike. There was one fellow who never put his garbage out on the street. 
They've never had any garbage to put on the street. He took advantage of the philosophy, what's yours is mine. It wasn't even Christmas time, but he took his garbage and he put it in a box. Cardboard box. Put it in the plastic bag, put it in the box. He wrapped the box with Christmas paper and put a bow on the top. He rolled down the window in his car and he put the box on the front seat in the passenger side. For two weeks, he would come back to his car and the box was gone. Because somebody believed what's yours is mine. I'll take it. They got it. Garbage in New York. Well, it's not only that. What a story. But there's another philosophy. And that's the philosophy of the priest and the Levite. And it's easy for us to fall into that philosophy of Seventh-day Adventists. That philosophy says, what's mine is mine. I'll keep it. The robber, what's mine is yours, I'll take it. The priest and the Levite, the religious folk of the day, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. I'll defend it. I'll hang on to it. I won't share it. My faith, my finances, my food, my fellowship, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. All in the little story of the Good Samaritan. And the last one is the one that I think is really the goal of Jesus for all of us, and especially for me. What's mine, said the Good Samaritan, not in words, but in actions. What's mine is yours. I'll share it. Think about that. What, a, what an opportunity in an old story that Jesus told. What's mine is yours. I'll share it. I know we have those motivations in our heart. But at Christmas time, let's not leave our garbage in a nicely wrapped package. Let's leave our gifts in bandages for people who are hurting. In care for people who are distressed. In love for people who are feeling alienated not just in connection with San Bernardino, but also for people right here in our community. Also for people, perhaps, right here in our congregation. Also for people like us as individuals. What's mine is yours. I'll share it. I don't know if there's one last story that I would tell to illustrate for you the kind of thing that you can do. And this is not the only thing to do. I'm not saying that at all. But it's the kind of thing that you can think about to take the Good Samaritan philosophy. That is, there was a fellow who in our church was uh, a black man in the midst of quite a white congregation. And he was a great fellow because he loved kids. 
and he had a Lincoln. Now, this will tell you something about my age. The Lincoln had doors on the front, drivers and passengers, that would open this way, like most cars. But he also had doors on the passenger seat in the back that would open this way. So the doors on the side would open like this. And you could get in the side with the doors. You had to be careful and never open the back door when you were going down the road. You'd scoop anything in that you know was out there. But most of the time we didn't do that. He would put 10 of us. This was before seat belts. That tells you some more about my age. Um, he would put 10 of us in his car and all the instruments in the back end in the trunk and stands and music books and he would have us get in the car and drive around to different places that he knew there were people who were in the church or elderly that would like to have a visit from us well before that he had us all sit in the front row in church and he oh my goodness i'm sure it sounded like the cows in the field we were trying to figure out how to make the trombone sound good, you know. <laughs> and the clarinets. And, oh, my, squaw, you know, and saxophones. Oh, my. And here we are, the old rugged cross, doing our best, but sounding like, you know, the church put up with it because he had a black lady that played the piano, and she played every note four times. Wow, they really got us going. And he was playing right with us. And then we take all of this except the piano and we go to the person's house in the afternoon. And we'd all fill up their living room. I mean, we'd fill it up. You couldn't, I had to be careful where the trombone slide was going to go not to punch somebody in the side of the head. It was an interesting afternoon. And as we were playing for Mr. and Mrs., they were sitting on their couch. I can see it just as easy as I can see you right now. Sitting on their couch, we were playing. Jesus loves me, this I know. Everything was going fine. And we were making our sounds pretty good because we'd played that one before. And then I saw the man sitting there on the couch. I'll never forget it. Tear ran down the center of his eye, right down his face. I was still trying to look at my music, but I could see him out of the corner of my eye. You know what? It's really good to be a good Samaritan. It helps the Samaritan as well. I'll never forget it. I have led mission trips in many places in the world because of what Black Jim did for me. Think about what you do, not only for you and you, your other, the person beside the road for you, but other people who see the response you give to the person beside the road. What a powerful testimony. What an opportunity. Let's ask God to bless us as we think about our responsibility and applying our philosophy of life this next week. Father, we often think that we worship you on Sabbath during 11 o'clock, and it's true. But in a certain secondary sense, and maybe primary sense, 
Our worship only begins here and is not concluded until we're back here again with a full week of sharing what we have with others. Not just spiritually, yes, spiritually, but also physically, emotionally, in every way to help their path be better as they move toward the kingdom. Bless us with our philosophy and with our philosophical thinking as we seek to apply the beautiful yet simple story of the 10th chapter in the Good Samaritan. Dismiss us from this place, but never from your presence. In Jesus' name.